This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show. We're having a good time here as summer comes down upon us. Summer 7s is hitting everybody. But before we get into Summer 7s, we have all kinds of interesting stuff to talk about with regard to the USA national team, the USA under 20 uh, national teams, and also college rugby. College rugby is always worth a show. In fact, we could probably do a show every day about college rugby. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. And... We've got Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean and a great guest. I'm great. As well. The weather's beautiful We're in here, New York. Ready it's going to get show. hot and muggy uh, and Bruce, horrible. And it'll probably be like that for the rest of the summer. We're starting our NYAC high school rugby program with all the kids from Fordham and Xavier and, and Harvey School and Fairfield and Greenwich. And, and so that should be fun. And that's it. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna run a uh, we're gonna run a sevens program seven. and a fifteens skills thing where they they basically play a lot. I believe in playing a lot, so we'll do that. And then we have Neil McMillan, Sean Rafferty, and a and a couple of guys, and Justin Hunley are gonna run the sevens program out of it. And I'll take everybody who doesn't want to play sevens with me and Fury and Fetty and some of the other coaches from the local area. It'll be fun. Right. Uh, Missouri. Sounds good. Um, good. Pat, how's it going out in? It's fine. Yeah, it's just hotter than hell. Uh, so I guess I'm getting ready yeah. for the hotter than hell uh, climate down in Houston this weekend. It's going to be sweltering and uh, no fun whatsoever when it comes to the weather, at least. So I guess I'm in training right now, trying to acclimate. So Houston's going to be really. Exciting with the uh, a West qualifier sevens tournament and also USA playing Italy in front of what uh, Scuttlebutt says is going to be a very large crowd at is it BBBVA Compass Stadium new stadium new soccer stadium they have in Houston so that's going to be that's going to be fun and we will talk about the Eagles a little bit later in the show but first of all we are going to be talking with Rich Cortez and Rich Cortez is USA Rugby's new collegiate director and has been a long time well, head coach at the me. University of Wyoming and Rich uh, welcome to the show thanks for being with us Rich uh, you have you just wrapped up I think today a, a meeting uh, with regard to women's uh, college rugby and then coming up this weekend in Houston I think starting Friday you've got a, a big meeting about men's college rugby. And tell us a little bit about what that meeting is going to be like. Is that going to be concentrating on just D1A or is it going well, to be expanding it, out into the other the divisions and discussing issues throughout the game? Other divisions, both men and women's. But we've got a lot of projects going on now, trying to get teams into conferences at, at all divisions, making sure that they're are defined pathways for these teams to get into the national championships, and uh, and not only fifteens uh, but sevens. Um, we're trying to get input from as many people as possible through through the various committees that we have and the subcommittees, and and as we progress through this undertaking, we want to be as transparent as possible and approachable as possible, so that people are aware of what we're doing, aware of the reasons, and uh, hopefully can 
ease the transition a little bit because as we evolve more toward uh, an NCAA-like existence, um, it's going to be uncomfortable. The NCAA's been at it for a long, long time, and uh, we're, <laughs> we're getting into it um, obviously very recently and at uh, different stages. So we've got a lot to talk about. The Houston meeting, though, will primarily focus on uh, Division 1A, and, and, and we're going to try to – well, we will – come to a conclusion about what the competition is, what the mission is, what our values are, what we're trying to do, and who wants to be in it. So that's a, that's a big agenda. And uh, Well, with the, that's, that's sort of spilled into all, all the things that we talk about D1A. Uh, I, I think you, you use some of the terms that we use, evolution, change, um, adjustment, all these things basically talking about how things have been changing a great deal. And it's not a surprise that things are changing a great deal, Rich, but um, to, is it going, it's going to be hard to come out with defined conclusions well, yeah, because of the way things have been changing so drastically process, the last you know, uh, two years. Um, when the change was initiated, it was to try to get to support the women's NCAA initiative and, and to evolve into conferences that we can take to the NCAA. Uh, that was one reason. The other thing was to, and the, the overriding reason, is to let the college programs govern themselves, which makes sense in that like-minded people, uh, people dedicated to the game, uh, are going to have the best interests of the college program if they're college people. And, and so it's changed. Now, the unfortunate part that we, we seem to be emulating um, college football where everybody has changed from traditional rivalries to uh, long-standing conferences to a race to scramble around to get the best TV deal or the, or the highest payout. And, and I think the unfortunate byproduct of that is is that maybe we're we're putting well even at the college level maybe they're putting the dollar chase ahead of the interests of the schools and their traditions so whether whether that was a factor in in college rugby doing this uh, or not it certainly seems to be paralleling um, uh, what's going on so yeah, there's a lot of confusion, but that doesn't mean the change is bad. Can we even call this D1A now that Cal's out, BYU's out, Navy's out, and I would imagine it's going to be other dominoes to fall? Like, is it almost a foregone conclusion that something's going to have to get worked out along the lines of that everyone's back in the same pool again, or? Well, I think, yeah, I think, uh, Bruce, that, that sometimes uh, um, people on the ship don't want, to, don't want to take the same route. But I do think that in, in the longer term, uh, the teams will be back together. We actually uh, have identified a number of teams that are going to be joining D1A. You're only, you're only hearing about the ones that have, that have decided to opt out. Now, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Cal and UCLA, uh, along with Oregon State, have formed a coalition uh, 
for their own reasons, and I think they're legitimate and good reasons, um, to to start um, providing awareness of, of their league uh, in the pack six or seven or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they have not closed the door on D1A, and uh, uh, we haven't closed the door on them. I think if they can get on television and and uh, and bring a good product to market, that's fantastic for everybody because it'll it'll create awareness all over. Um, I think we may end up with 28 or 29 teams. Uh, other schools have dropped out for a variety of reasons, and we're going to flesh out the underlying issues that we have with people's opinions. Um, I guess we're trying to we're getting a little bit confused. Are we following the football model, which is the major conferences playing, and then with bowl seasons at the end, or do we or do we envision the basketball model, in which you have a, a large tournament and you have um, anybody a chance to win if they get hot, like the Cinderella teams of a couple of years ago, Butler? Um, or we are are we trying to use a hybrid in which we can possibly get the best of both. And, uh, and the verdict's still out there. But I believe down the road that the best teams will want to play in D1A and that it should be broad-based. Now, it might be regional and it might be identif- uh, identifiable conference-based, but you can you can attract regional support, and then when you go to the national playoffs, then you have something, and you generate excitement, and not just for the traditionally uh, strong teams. So D1A was created so that people can start recognizing the value of playing college rugby at a high level. Because of all those things that you just mentioned there, I wonder why that couldn't be had outside of a D1A, D1AA, you know, separated D1. Why couldn't that be had um, if D1 was all together? The Pac-12 could still exist, play all the same opponents. Um, All the leagues that are currently in formation in in D1A, if they wanted to, could stay together um, if they thought it was in their best interest in in a combined D1 um, uh, system. So why, what's the value of of D1A specifically? And that's part one of the question. And part two is, um, my understanding is that there's a $250,000 grant, um, high-performance grant from the IRB that's funneled towards D1A, and that there's a couple more years left of that. Um, is, is this just are – we, are we keeping this together just to keep the, the high-performance money, or is there actual value of separate D1s outside of that? Uh, you're, you're asking me to predict the future. You know, what you're talking about is kind of – uh, a question in hindsight, could we have formed all these conferences and and uh, amalgamated everybody in the D1? I suppose so. Um, what it has done, though, is is some of these conferences from top to bottom clearly clearly would struggle in, if you took a traditional conference, and they would clearly struggle in D1A. So, so we're trying to transition. Um, so you can either call it the, the, the push strategy or the pull strategy uh, to try to get teams to improve, to paying uh, um, attention to the value of, of, 
of a traditional conference. But, you know, part of the stuff that was overlooked in the in rush to change this a, a couple of years ago was the enormous travel costs that were going to be uh, brought about because of this change. So now we're seeing a pullback a little bit, more regional stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there are very many, many ways we could have done it or it could have been done. This is this is the this is the path that we've chosen for, for this. We're going to keep at it. Um, this high performance money is is I mean you can use it one of two ways. You could subsidize and a, a conference of elite teams, twelve teams, or we can we can use the money to broaden the base and bring bring something of value to the market. And the marketplace is recognition. It's not, it, it's not money. We're not going to have immediate money uh, by uh, people being on television. But we are making steps. And with the Olympic Initiative, uh, there's more recognition. And you see it from independent companies, and you see it from USA Rugby, and you see it from, from uh, women's uh, programs, and you see it from the fact that, that – uh, our national teams are, are are focusing and getting better, and and so this is you're you're trying to ask me the perfect formula of how we get to be a high value product. Well, I think it I think that's a you know a result of the answer to that is it's going to have, take a lot of people a lot of people's input, and we've got to try a lot of new things, and we've got to not be afraid of trying those. Well, I think what, more directly what I'm trying to ask is, is, is what is the point of D1A? Because I don't – now, this is just me, and I'm sure I'm missing some pieces of the puzzle, and you are a lot more tied into all the stuff than you talked to all, uh, a lot more coaches than I have, and you're a D1A coach yourself. But is, is what is what do we get out of D1A that we couldn't have in a combined D, D1? If D1A and D1AA were put together, what, what, would, what would be the worst – you know, what, what are we avoiding by having D1A? And you, I think well, one of the things you said was... I think, I think you're... Well, it's not really dragging down the competition. You're not identifying the schools that made a commitment by combining everybody. You're not identifying the schools that have made a commitment to, to uh, improve and challenge themselves on a weekly basis. Now, we can argue all you want about the quality of the competition as this changes, but, but what we really are is talking about is a mindset. We could have a conference of everybody, and you have, I guess, differing values. At D1A, people are committed committed to using last year as 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 a base and, and to try to improve. And that's just not on the field, but administratively, um, um, alumni support, foundational, promotional, a lot of things. And that's that's the value of D1A. Now, if we could do it, I mean, it's a classic uh, example, Bruce. Take, for example, your your club. Let's say you have 150 people there. Do you take the top and coach them and make them very, very good, or you take them all and make them okay? Because given limited resources, you can't do both. The D1A is is attracting those schools that that uh, that are committed. To the risks and hopefully the rewards of playing at a higher level. 
let's be honest. Uh, let's let's take example the West Conference. When you're playing in the league with BYU and Utah, who've clearly separated themselves through through whatever means, you can either step up to the plate or you can back away. And uh, I know from our squad, it couldn't have come at a worse time. My previous squad, I should say, Wyoming. So we end up playing 13 first-year players, never played rugby before, and put them on the field against BYU and and got annihilated. And this year, we were almost immeasurably better. I just wanted to chime in. Not 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 so much about the AC. It, it, men's club rugby is a little bit different in that we we tend not to have as many people as as your teams do. We this year we was an anomaly that we would have 50 guys at practice, but that's an anomaly. Normally we have 35. So it and and we have a lot of coaches in that we have five or six coaches. So it it we do get a pretty high coach to player ratio. So take us out of the equation. And I get what you're saying there, Rich, but the one thing that I would that I would add to it is that two of the teams in Cal and and BYU and Navy and and some others, they they really have been, for lack of a better word, the benchmark of collegiate rugby, and they've chosen and I and I actually like the CPD competition, the D1A competition, whatever you want to call it. I think it's great, and I wish it could have legs. Um, but if they're dropping out, I do see that life is is in Arkansas State are getting getting a lot better, and 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 Lindenwood and Davenport and those teams will add a bit of value in the event that they join. I'm just saying, but is it really the elite competition if two of the really elite teams and, and several other fringe elite teams are out. Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you, you lose a, a extraordinary successful program, does it diminish the competition a little bit in some fashion? It does in another, it might actually add to the, the interest of the league. Now, what you're pointing to really is the more crucial uh, question, and that is how do we accommodate those teams that are purely club with those teams that are well-funded, either varsity or quasi-varsity, and and how do we approach that issue? And, And that we are just beginning to uh, bring to the table because is there a clear difference of a team like uh, Colorado made the final four three years ago, I think, or four years ago, um, and a team like Cal? The differences are huge. One's varsity, one's non-varsity. One one has access to all sorts of um, state-of-the-art training, uh, facilities, coaching, uh, uh, rehabilitation, uh, huge endowment, et cetera, and one doesn't. And yet they step onto the same field. So that that's the bigger question we're going to have to ask. At what point do we have to split those divisions? Now, um, and, and, and I don't know the answer to that. I do know that several teams have made progress because of Cal and BYU's benchmark um, status to try to narrow that gap. 
And that's what competition's all about. So, so let's not. I, I would I prefer not to muddy the waters about about um, casting a, 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 you know a, a a negative eye at the competition. I would rather look at it to casting the positive eye on how these teams are trying to get better. So what what we're looking at there, you know, we, we, we can't we can't change uh, history. So, the you know, the idea that, you know, maybe D1A should have started with a, a smaller group of teams is immaterial, I guess, in the end, because we have what we have, which is a very fluid league that um, could be cutting down to 16, could be increasing. Uh, losing some, and as you said, uh, adding a bunch of others, the um, the league in Texas, uh, for example, or possibly Pac-12. Um, what what do we envision then the relationship between D1A and D1AA? And the question, uh, I think it was touched on by Pat's question, the idea of, of what do we tell people that it is? Which is the elite one? Which is when you say where they're in D1A is the elite competition, and we're concerned on the rugby level that some of the elite teams wouldn't be participating in it, and therefore it rings hollow to us. Well, you know your 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 judgment on the competition may ring hollow. D1A is still the elite competition. Uh, the six pack or seven pack have the ability to join if they want. Now they're engaging in an experiment, and I'm not privy to those discussions of what what they're looking for. Yeah, I think I suspect that they want to be on television. Um, they like the the idea and the association with the Pacific, whatever name in front of them. I'm not sure to what degree that they have rights to that name or can comply with the conference uh, requirements, uh, because there are many, or whether it's just an ad hoc thing. They can call them Pacific 12, and they can get that in the uh, public uh, vernacular when they're really not the Pacific 12. Because the Pacific 12 implies a conference affiliation. Okay. Um, D1AA is a different division. It doesn't have the same teams in it. Uh, it includes, obviously, different colleges. It's D1AA. If they want to claim the D1A championship, they would have to move up to D1A. Now, you can debate about who belongs where, but this we haven't excluded anybody. So you can you can draw your own conclusions why somebody drops out of a putative higher division to play in a lower division. I I just can I go can I go back to one as you were talking about the you know the teams with money and the teams without money and all that stuff. And I think that money well, is not a about, fact. It's not just about money. It's about varsity versus quasi-varsity versus and I, I And that's where I want to go with this, is to say okay. the, the number one thing in order to be successful, at least in my mind, are people factors, coaching time, player attitudes, cohesion, communication, e- even across the organization, you know, player behavior issues, on and off the field, leadership issues, things of that nature. And from from my perspective, there's a couple of things, and I don't know that all, you know, most teams don't have this, but, you know, attitude is free. You know, desire doesn't yeah, cost anything either. Uh, Bruce, you need the players. You can be the greatest I, coach on the planet. It's, but you got to be able to, that's part of it. 
is that you got to yeah. be able to recruit them and make it matter. And, you know, desire, enthusiasm, commitment, those types of things are way more important than money. And, and I think that, you know, money doesn't necessarily bring any of that into, into the equation. And I think that that's the most important thing. And, and that's where everybody gets tied up into money. Money doesn't guarantee success. It does make it easier. There's no question about it. But well, it doesn't sure. guarantee. I mean, look at, look, there are plenty of programs that have lots of money that, that haven't been able to crack it. Um, and, and believe me, I am a strong proponent of what you just said. Because because we've we've experienced things where we had no money, and and uh, and it is time, and it is people, and it is attitude, and it is hard work. Uh, yeah, yeah. That also goes to why our teams are dropping from D one A to D one double A, or and, and and it's it's more complex than that. It's it's uh, it's um, maybe there's a carrot out there that's whether real or imagined that people are following. So it's, you know, it, all these questions and, and opinions are symptomatic and and exuberant at the same time of, of college rugby. I mean, this is, this is good. This is very good stuff that, that, that people are interested enough to have strong opinions. I mean, this is a classic, um, not to equate you guys with, you know, K fan or anything, but this is a classic uh, conversation that goes on in every sporting uh, sphere and that that people have any interest in, and, and that's why I welcome these. these. And my my, I think our point is, it it wasn't it it wasn't a big deal when teams who weren't doing well dropped out. I think that now it becomes a bigger deal when the top teams or some of the top teams have been leaving, that's when it becomes a big deal. And as far as... Well, I mean, how many top teams have left? We we had one dropout because of competition. Uh, We had another dropout, I think, and and I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth, but for for non-altruistic reasons, let's just put it that way. We had another team dropout that took many with him for a variety of, at least publicly acknowledged... uh, Scheduling interference with classes and and probably some other personal reasons. Uh, for whatever reasons these teams chose to go their way, I do believe they will come back. And when they come back, the competition will be stronger and and, the, and uh, from top to bottom. And, and and that's what we're pointing toward. So you have two teams that dropped out that have finished been in the final for a long, long, long time. That's fine. I can't really can't speak to them. I think you should call them up and ask them. And 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 you know, as journalists, hold their feet to the fire. But I do. I, I can only say to them that we are going to do everything in our power to make a competition that is suitable for the best teams in the country, and that will help teams flourish. And that we will provide a pathway for teams at whatever level, so that we can expand the game. And, and that should be the larger charter that we have, rather than, shall we say, micro reasons. But isn't isn't it possible that the the teams dropping out for non altruistic reasons um, are also indicating that there's a there's a flaw within the 
the competition itself rather than a flaw within uh, those programs. Well, BYU wants to play in the competition, just not in the postseason. Yes, and, and And what's that about? I think he's probably been offered a better deal somewhere else. I don't know. Right. And, and that's about money. I can't imagine what else it's about. Now, now I, I may be wrong, and if I am, I apologize publicly, but uh, we do want them. They're valuable. And they're, um, you know, just by this discussion shows that that there's great interest there. Um, just not necessarily to keep hammering us. And, and to be fair, we got to say that you, you didn't create the D1A. We're not talking to the father of D1A here. Um, Rich, you came in, and this is kind of one of the many things that you're saddled with having to deal with. Um, so nobody's – I don't want it to come across as we're blaming you for the creation and retainment of the D1A. But um, – I there's another big movement going on in terms of varsity um, and, and quasi, as you, you said, um, varsity programs, the Lindenwoods, the Davenports, Wheeling Jesuits, Lice. Um, they're numerous, and it seems like they're going to continue to grow. They're not going to stop coming. Um, and there, are, there seems to be a perception uh, that these teams propose some kind of danger or threat to the traditional college rugby scene that we've had, or some teams seem to be threatened by them, whether it's because they don't have to, a lot of, some people will say academic standards or unfair recruiting balance or what have you. But how do you deal with that relationship between um, the traditional college rugby powerhouses or college rugby programs and, and the new ones? Because it would seem that more scholarships, more people playing in a high performance environment as a whole is going to be good for, uh, for rugby, but there are, there seems to be some struggles going along with that as well. That just goes to the to the absolute uh, core of what, what are you trying to teach rugby kids? Just how to play rugby, or are you trying to teach them larger values? Uh, a new new just because you've been the top dog doesn't mean that you're entitled. There's no entitlement um, um, that you have the right to remain on top. Your challenge is as the world changes, you change with it. And, and and to and to keep coaching the method that says uh, we're here to learn the game, we're here to be good sports, we're here to be um, to learn discipline and commitment, and to never back down from a challenge. Um, those are things I would think that most college uh, successful college coaches start with. And, and to set a goal and, and to try to reach it. And as far as the newcomers there, I mean, I'm, I'm really baffled by uh, the complaints coming out of some people's mouths about the, 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 the new people. If they're playing within the rules uh, and they're successful, then we better get successful to challenge them or uh, we're going to we're going to fall far behind. So if I can put well, this what in would, a nutshell, what would you say, Bruce? <laughs> I, I would say that if I can put this in a nutshell, essentially there's people working behind the scenes who are doing their own thing, and you're saying, okay, more power to you, and go with it. Do what you want. We want you here, but if you're not going to be here, we're going to keep going, and we're going to do our thing with the people who are there. And that's fine. And I think that's a way to go. 
And I, and I don't, that's you know, exactly where the, the posture we're standing with the idea that if they ever come back, that's fantastic. It will be fantastic, and I think they will come back. But in terms of these other teams uh, getting uh, scholarships and and um, um, varsity status, well, that's the world we live in. That's what we have to deal with, and that's that's why we have to all prepare. So, I do have to ask one. Sure. One point blank question: If if D one A didn't exist, would you lose the grant? The, the the high performance grant, correct? No, I, I do not believe so. I believe, I believe that that uh, it would be this. First of all, D1A was started at the behest of many of these same people that have left. You have to understand this. Correct. Um, yes. And so, if they believe it's a mistake or they have a better deal, that's fine. Um, if the money is a commitment by USA Rugby to energize the collegiate structure. Now, you can do it by creating – they decided to do it by creating a D1A and a pull strategy so that people could come up. You could also you, you could also envision some of this reorganization as a push strategy, meaning we're pushing you into these conferences based on your NCAA uh, varsity level of competition. So there are two two forces at work here, and and and, and that's a little bit uneasy as to, and, and and I really don't know the reasons why that was initiated uh, completely, uh, but I, I certainly have no no argument with it. I think the conference structure is, is identifiable, and it, it it brings even the tangential um, non-sporting person that you know might recognize it. So so that's fine, but I think the money w- will be there because because it generates money for USA Rugby and that USA Rugby genuinely wants to have the colleges administer themselves and to succeed. Because if they, we succeed, USA Rugby succeeds. I, I guess what concerns me about what you've said so far, Rich, is that you haven't said anything to indicate that there is anything that needs to be changed about D1A, that there is anything that needs to be adjusted. And and it would seem to me that when you – know, I, I wouldn't necessarily knee-jerk change anything just because somebody leaves an organization. But if you get people leaving an organization and you find that there's a trend in one or two reasons why, and and especially in a fledgling organization that is still figuring out, as you said, what it is and where it's going, um, aren't uh, – Aren't there some things that could be changed about the organization or uh, everything from scheduling to conferences to figuring things well, out? Now, or, are you talking about all divisions a, or just, just a deep one? I'm, uh, right now, I'm still talking about – Well, we are changing today. those, and that's what the Houston meeting is about. We are going to change those, okay. and that's our discussion for this weekend. We're going to, I, I would suspect we're going to try to regionalize things. We're going to accommodate the teams that have made the commitment to stay in. The conferences may be realigned completely, so we are changing things. Okay. Yeah. Good. How about? Sorry, in- sorry, I should have made that more uh, apparent at the start. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't clear. No, 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 no. We, uh, we, we, everything's on the table, and, and, and it's good, and I think it's overdue. And this is not uh, atypical of organizations. When you have a turnaround situation, you do certain things. 
Uh, when you level off and you want to take it to the next level, you do certain things. When you have growth, you might even have a change of structure and management to take it to the next level. And if you have a little dip, you change. It's, it's, this is nothing more than what a corporation would do in evaluating where we've been, where we want to go, and how best to get there. And that's exactly what we're doing uh, in Houston. That's why we're getting there Friday at noon and leaving Sunday. And we're going to work Friday as, as right. long as we have to on Friday night and sat all day Saturday and Sunday morning. Well, we're, we're, we're going to uh, talk about uh, – we can't go uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on this show, but we do have some more to talk about. We'll be right back after a short break uh, to pay a, pay a couple of bills here on Rugged Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. All right, we are back on Rugby Matrix America. This is Alex Goff with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And we have Rich Cortez, who is the USA Rugby Collegiate Manager, director, I think director is the right name. Is that director, right? Director, manager, uh, bottle washer. And, and general dog's body. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, uh, talking about college rugby, we've been talking about the D1A most of the time. And one thing I wanted to touch on that's nothing to do with the D1A, uh, it, in fact, nothing to do with, with men's college rugby directly, is women's college rugby and specifically uh, the move to to create varsity programs in women's college. It, it, it has been something I remember writing about it in 2000. So it's 12 years ago, um, which uh, that that's a personal victory for me to even remember what year it is. We haven't really made a lot of progress with making uh, women's programs varsity uh, made some progress, but not a lot of progress. And it always seemed like such a no brainer uh, with the title nine that, a, a, a physical full contact game, team game for women would be good for college sports in general. Um, what progress can be made uh, in the next one, two, three years on that level? Okay. Regarding the NCAA, it's, it's not as cut and dried as, as, as people think. Uh, first of all, you have NCAA rules and regulations. And, and we have been working on those to modify the rules and regulations to allow for the admission of uh, rugby sevens and fifteens uh, within their operating uh, guidelines. Uh, however, the, uh, the NCAA manual is now about the size of the state of Connecticut. And... There is a discussion within the NCAA that that m- new legislation is going to be put on hold while while they figure out how to streamline this this albatross. And, and I'm just talking about the regulations. Uh, compliance is going. You, you think compliance is 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 an issue at uh, in rugby? It's 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 an absolute nightmare at the NCAA level. Because everybody's suspicious of everybody else, and, and and that's reflected, I think, a little bit in in our previous discussions. We have uh, a lot of advisors on this subject. We are listening to them. We are 
uh, organizing these uh, schools into conferences, whether they're traditional conferences that make sense monetarily for these club teams, or whether they're hybrid conferences, which make uh, sense for their for their travel budgets, et cetera. At that point, then we can go to the NCAA and and and, and tell them that we have conferences aligned, traditional conferences run by college people, not under a TU and LAU, and that will hopefully uh, gain some traction in when they're talking about how can we we admit these schools into uh, into the NCAA. So we have five now. We need we need uh, uh, 48 before it'll become a fully sanctioned sport. We hope to gain. I would I would like to see if we can gain five a year for the next three years, and then and at that point, you know, make critical mass, and then and then hopefully we can accelerate after that. Um, you also have to understand though. Varsity implies a lot of things, so it's not just the no-brainer. When you become varsity, you have restrictions. You have uh, uh, practice time. You have GPA uh, attainment. You have uh, um, uh, a, a schedule in a defined period. Um, these are touchy subjects. A lot of teams want to go varsity, but they but they don't want to comply with being a varsity. They want to be called varsity. Um, so it's it's an educational process, and the schools may see it as a as a as some schools may see it as a Title IX. Some may see it as a a, uh, a mission of their school to provide opportunity um, f for the women. Um, and some schools may, may see it as an avenue for a championship. So, so all these, you know, all these uh, um, priorities and objectives kind of merge, and it's, so it's just not a Title IX thing. It's just not uh, exclusively. An outsider looking in would say, "Well, this will cure all your problems," yeah, but you have to have buy-in, and, and 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 if you have buy-in in Texas and there are no teams to play. It's a tough deal. So th th that's going to transition, too. So you'll have a varsity team playing other teams that are non-varsity. Uh, I think it will be um, – and then you have compounding that issue with sevens because the attractiveness of, of, of an Olympic sport uh, – college athletic directors understand that. They have, they have Olympic sports. But it's not 15s. It's sevens. And so um, Pam Breckenridge, who is the assistant director, has been working on um, rewriting some rules in the NCAA and submitted them, and they've gotten good response. It's, it's a season, season thing that you can play sevens or 15, so you have to define those things too. So it's not just walking in saying um, – you're not you're not just saying we're varsity and this is what we're going to do and you give us new jerseys over right here. you know that's what I was going to say it's it's not like Bubba walking into the AD and say hey dude we want to go varsity <laughs> it's not like that um, and I was trying to make a joke out of it and then I got caught up in my own uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, the the five NCAA programs um, I, I 
uh, Eastern Illinois, Quinnipiac, Westchester, Norwich, um, and... Uh, Oh, Bowdoin. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. Sorry, Bowdoin. I, I, I'm, I'm a Rocky Mountainer. You know, you put three vowels together. I you're you're, on. Um, you're the way of. <laughs> uh, just just yeah. just run them all together and and make it just sort of a general vowel. Um, the so so that's that's five. There are a number that, as you said, operate on a quasi varsity level. Um, such as Penn State and and uh, Stanford to a certain extent and uh, and um, Army, but there's a to get to 48. There's a lot. There's oh, a lot. That'll take a long. That'll take a while. You know, and, and, and but you know what happens? Let's say, let's just throw it out. Let's just say a state university system decides to do it. It's fabulous, whatever state it is. Um. Uh, and it it may well be that we can uh, effectively, uh, you know, support that kind of initiative or, or argue for that. And uh, but it, but it will happen, I think. And this the 40th year of the of the passing of Title IX. I think it's a, it's a good time to be doing this. And um, and if, uh, if if you were you know I I watched the women's under 20 team against the West uh, this past weekend in Glendale and boy, those girls can play. Um, so, so we, we, that's a high priority and we're going to ask a lot of knowledgeable people to assist us with it. This, um, this isn't so much a question as a statement, but react to it, if you will, that this whole concept of trying to create varsity programs is the NCAA emerging movement for the women's game to me seems to be uh, missing a whole part, large part of the puzzle. You've got Lindenwood, you've got Life, you've got American International College, Wheeling Jesuit, Davenport. That's five men's programs that have sprung up in the last three years that are varsity or as close to varsity as you can get and be controlled by the universities and funded by the universities. That's five men's programs in three years. That's as many as we've had in women's in as long as, what did you say, 12 years, Alex? It seems to me that we're missing the boat and not taking the opportunity to try to actively go out and find more men's varsity programs because obviously there are schools and uh, athletic directors and people on those campuses that think it's a pretty darn good idea. I would think that there are, we should foster that kind of uh, that movement and that, uh, that kind of, you know, trend that seems to be happening and i'd like to see some more funding more resources more effort put into uh varsity programs as a whole not just the the women's ncaa emerging sports deal but you're right the women's ncaa initiative is and because you asked the question uh, was what we were talking about there's certainly a lot of other programs but you are it, there you are going to come four square in the middle of a title nine discussion because that's the reality. And if you're taking a men's varsity program up with uh, 50 players, um, what are you doing on the other side? And a lot of these schools don't have that issue yet that are going varsity. But I do agree, and that's the idea of Division 1A. What, what happens in cl club sports around the country, club sports administrators? When one team wants to raise their level, the first thing the club sport director does is pick up the phone and 
called the neighboring club sports directors and says, what do you do for your guys? And then he finds out, and then he hangs up the phone, and then he goes to Bubba, and he says, well, we're giving you $1,000 more than the, the, the team down the street already. And that's where the conversation ends. I think the conversation should be framed uh, along the Title IX uh, logic that you want to support the programs that the students want at the highest level that they can play. There is a program installed for finding women's varsity programs when schools on their own are coming out of the woodwork and coming and creating men's varsity programs. And I think that schools need to be solicited, not schools necessarily with rugby programs, because they're not the ones that are coming out with varsity programs. It's not like this whole scenario with Bubba walking in anybody and talking to anybody, anybody, that person that Bubba would go talk to saying, you know, what would be good for our school to make money to get bodies in our, you know, desks would be a rugby program. And then he recruits Bubba because he went and got a coach. Um, so, so Bubba doing anything has nothing to do with it, but I just feel like, and this is based off of a prior conversation we'd had, I'd had with you, Rich, but um, I, now correct me if I'm wrong, but there isn't a whole lot of solicitation of, men's varsity programs at all or, or, or no, that's, to create that's, that's, actually that's not true um uh we've had a number of inquiries and we have sent uh, resource material to these schools uh men's colleges men's programs that are interested in what they have to do to develop a framework to approach their athletic director but it is you know we're not we're not slapping it on the headlines and neither do they um, there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done before any news of that leaks out. Hey, I, I happily eat my words if it means there are more rugby scholarships out there. I'll be there to feed them. What Pat's saying is that there are, there are some schools that maybe aren't, aren't traditional powers in, uh, in, in, in the major sports that could possibly provide. And, 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 and I think that one of the things through those schools, and we've discussed this in other shows, is like those places can raise their academic standing through sports and recruiting people to be scholarship people. So it, they like they're not. Whereas you know you went to Stanford. Stanford's not raising their academic standards through their sports programs. They just have good sports programs. They you know same with Notre Dame. Same with Cal. But you know what? They, but you know what they are doing, Bruce? Is that they, oh they raise money they're, through it. They're, well, no, they're they're increasing the diversity and the breadth of their applicant pool, and it's it's proven that that I know I was athletic associate athletic director Northwestern when the teams were terrible, the applicant pool was not very diverse. When the teams got better. They had more applications. It's not that they were going to be athletes. It's not that they were going. To, they just didn't want to be embarrassed. And 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 so it will increase increase the diversity as we as we expand these programs and and uh, can talk our way into in-state tuition or grants and aid or or, or whatever for for qualified uh, rugby programs and uh, uh, players in a, in a in a qualified rugby program. It does. It has huge implications. 
Rich, we t we talked about women's. We we talked about varsity. We talked about uh, D one A. Um, uh, what are the connected issues that that you'll be talking about this coming weekend uh, with regard to D one double A or D two uh, or the small colleges? Well, you know the D one double A is you know the implications. There. This is primarily a D one A meeting, okay? But it has implications on who's staying, who's yes. going, or who's coming up for those D one double A conferences. And so we have some issues that. What if they had a conference in D1AA with the seven teams, automatic qualifier, and a couple of them decided to go up? How are we going to accommodate the D1AA to make sure that they have um, uh, a pathway to the national championship and they're not shut out just because they don't have the requisite number of, of teams in their league? And so uh, one thing we did change uh, previously, the and this has to be approved formally yet, but... but uh, um, previously, under the old college operating document, that uh, uh, independents did not have a pathway. Well, we, we've addressed the issue of independents that are geographically isolated or excluded from conferences, because under the original document, uh, you could form a conference and exclude people. So we found that there are inequities there, so we're addressing that to make sure that, that all teams that play a qualified schedule in whatever form, whether within the conference structure or as an independent or across the division, that they can be considered for an at-large berth. Okay, so those are those are serious issues. Um, D2 are forming. Um, we we don't have major issues with them right now, uh, other than the fact that we have some some D1 teams that are just not r r brand new teams that aren't very good, yet their team plays in D1 football. And D1 basketball and D1 everything. Do they stay in D D1, force them up, and then you know they get their hat handed to them, or do they play at, at, at a different level? Then we have obviously the issue of of not enough teams in the local area, and we have new new clubs. So what do we do with them? Um, these are a lot of things that were kind of left. Um, uh, to be considered later when they when this reorganization uh, uh, idea came about, I guess three years ago. Um, so th so they're getting closer to r real implications. We have to figure those out. D three is uh, is an important part of the structure, and and we don't look at them, I don't look at them as higher or lower. I I really look at them. Maybe it's just my job or character, but to look at it, they're just different. And, and it's important to the players that play on whatever level. Um, and and, and uh, the D3 teams um, have played under an independent uh, championship, the National Small College Rugby Organization run by Steve Cohen, who's done a great job. Um, and we will um, – he's going to continue to run that, and, and, and we will begin to integrate that into – a formal USA structure, but we're not going to step all over something that's working really well. Uh, he's incredibly adaptable and responsible, and and um, and and he's got a, a lot of energy and passion for it. So he's going to keep doing it, and and he gets um, he he's an extraordinary communicator, and and I think we all can take a, um, a lesson from him, and that he keeps people up to date and. Um, 
you know, I, he's so into this. I hope his wife takes him out once in a while and airs him out, because he's he's he, he just must be doing this 24/7. Um, um, so so that will become a, a priority. But uh, you know, we've got a few balls in the air. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing what comes out of that and um, see if there are any surprises, which there always seem to be. Um, but uh, Rich Cortez, uh, director of Collegiate Rugby for USA Rugby, we appreciate the time and we appreciate you Thank coming you to talk to us. I always enjoy the banter, whether whether we agree or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what Thanks, makes Rich, it more fun. Sure. Thank you very much. We will be right back on Rugga Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. All right, well, back, and that was an interesting discussion. Guys, reaction to uh, what Rich had to say and uh, some of the issues he yeah, brought up? Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of the big questions I wanted to ask him was, what's the point of D1A? And I'm not so sure that I got an answer that I was 100% happy with. I mean, I prefaced it by saying that this isn't Rich's baby, this D1A thing, but uh, I still don't see a reason to keep it together. I don't think that uh, there's an awful lot of time, energy, and resources going into keeping D1A together for not a whole lot of benefit, if you ask me. Um, and I think that if you would just you know, fuse D1 and D1, D1A and D1AA together, you uh, let them sort out their own conferences, you combine your problems, and you move on, and you have time to put into more things like the NCAA initiative or a varsity initiative and those sorts of things. So at the end of the day, even talking to Rich now, I'm not so sure that I uh, he's changed my mind on on the value of D1A or, or whether or not we should have it. But I appreciate it for coming on and, and going to bat. That was uh, certainly a, a good topic to have. The, the one thing that I would uh, um, perhaps tease Rich about was uh, he, he, he made a comment about colleges making decisions based on money. Um, but then also um, supported a USA Rugby decision based on the fact it makes money for USA Rugby. And and it seems to me that that's fine for both. And I think making decisions for your college or your college rugby team for non-altruistic reasons, for, for selfish reasons, is fine. And, and I would imagine, Bruce, you probably agree with that, but selfishness is – how we improve the game. You want to win your games. You want to be better personally. That's how you get better. Not You don't get better necessarily by being too concerned about how everybody else gets better. You go, Herman. You play to win the game. <laughs> and you're going to have Pat can talk about covering Herman and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know what? I really think that we have to have him back on. And the fact of the matter is, um, while he gave us a lot of information, he really couldn't talk. And... He can't talk until there's a couple of decisions made over the weekend. It was pretty apparent that he was not at liberty to be as free as maybe he would have liked to have been uh, after the conference. So I think that you know having him on and, and possibly with one, one, one other guest would be uh, could, could probably shed some light on some things. Uh, you know, a, a, a Dave Sitton. We had a remember we had a great show last summer with him and Rich Belidel, uh, Jack Clark. We had another great show with him. You know, possibly, you know, if those guys, you know, they can let them have a little have a little 
back and forth, and then I think that possibly we'll get something. I I I do think that yes, they're moving on. That's really their only choice. And or as as Pat said, they can try to align things and go. That that is another choice and play some kind choice. of kind of thing. And 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 Pat, I don't have any skin in the game, so I I understand and I'm cool with it. I just there's um, no argument to be made when you're talking about losing Cal and BYU and adding Sam Houston State and Texas Tech, and, and then trying to say this is still right. the premier competition, no matter who's in it. It's ridiculous. It's the, 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 I, this thing was put together well, and they don't want to let go of it. And there's also the money issue that they don't want to let go of and admit failure. But that's, but that's you, what it comes down to. But but you see, I, I, I do believe that there is a, a feeling within rugby that so few people pay attention to rugby outside of the sport that you can tell them anything. And if you follow some of the actions of other people within rugby, uh, the coach at Eastern Illinois University is an excellent example uh, on the women's side that basically just makes stuff up. And people believe these people because nobody ever follows rugby. Uh, so you can say this is you know, this is the championship. This, you know, you, you look, you look at local headlines and you'll see, you'll see a, a college has won a national championship and they, they have won a national championship, but it doesn't say anything about the fact that it's, you know, it's the second tier or third tier or fourth tier national championship. My, they don't say it because we, nobody knows. So you we, can say anything. We did, kind, we did kind of address it with them. I mean, I, my first question was, could you call it D1A without those teams? So I get where you're coming from is, but all right, say for instance, and, you know, saying that Navy dropped out, he just said Utah dropped out, uh, BYU dropped out, Cal dropped So obviously there's something in, in play here with between those teams, and I'm sure that there are going to be dominoes to fall. Um, I didn't, I was unaware of Utah dropping out. So the whole pack, to- that and, whole and, pack and, and I was, I wasn't aware, I wasn't aware that Utah dropped out and I spoke to Blake Burdett yesterday. So, um, but we were talking about other, other non-rugby well, I th- things. I think, I think he, yeah, I mean, Utah's in the Pac-12. He also was talking about Utah and BYU separating themselves competitively when they were in D1A. D1A. Um, and that's, that's an issue. Uh, I guess that's a different issue. But the, yeah, the, the, we, we don't know. And it's all splintering away and then reforming. And it's going to do that again. So I think you're right. We need... I don't know if it's Rich or someone else to come on the show uh, afterward to just discuss how this all comes together because it'll come together again this summer. I think they finally or they've realized that making all their decisions by July 1st is is a bit tight, although they probably will actually manage to get there. Um, and and then then it's going to change again because everybody is still figuring it out, and it's going to take three or four or five years to figure it all out. I think. Uh, in the end, e- even if the most logical decision is go back to one division one, it doesn't seem that's so easy because we still haven't formed these conferences. We still haven't formed an idea of how to deal with the conferences. Seems like Rich Cortez and and the meeting this weekend is working on dealing with how to deal with the conferences and how how a how a team plays its rugby season. Just a real quick thing, a real quick acknowledgement: USA Under Twenties. Uh, on, on the on the girls' side, won the collegiate uh, national all-star championship, and it wasn't even close how dominant they were. That's good news for the age grade program. Well done, Coach Danielle Miller. And then on the bo- the boys' side, or the or the yeah, on the boys' side, uh, 
over Tonga in the opening of the Junior World Rugby Trophy. Uh, really an outstanding performance. What a way to close out that game, which was uh, 12 to 11 with just uh, just a few minutes to go. Uh, very impressive. And we will check in on the U20s a little bit later because that tournament is still ongoing in Salt Lake City. Um, so with that, good luck to the Eagles in Houston against Italy. And good luck to Rich Cortez in Houston talking college rugby and meeting with uh, all the college programs in uh, the higher divisions. And uh, good luck to everybody else uh, with a lot of rugby to play this summer. You've been listening to Rugga Matrix America. <laughs>